0: bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host of The Art of Parenting, and today I wanted to share a conversation I had a while back with my guest, and when I say a while back, it is pre-pandemic conversation, so we have no clue what is about to happen, but I still wanted you to hear these because I think they are still very pertinent, make total sense, and are a wonderful support to my listeners, to parents. And on that note, to support you, I also just created something that I think you might appreciate. It is called the 50 Confident Boosting Activities for Young Children. It is my guide, my gift to you to really hone in on some of these activities that children can be doing at home. And especially during summertime, this is a great time to be setting some of these up. These are valuable for children um, maybe two, 18 months to, to about six years. And they're just, for me, always these kind of prerequisite to bigger activities that they will be doing. So you're setting the foundation in helping them master some life skills. So please enjoy. The download is in the show notes. This is a free download, free gift for you. And please enjoy this interview and let me know what you think of it. All righty. Take good care. Bye-bye for now. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today, I have the lovely Megan Rose Wilson, who is the founder of Whole Family Rhythm. And I'm just delighted to have her here to just be talking about how what she says, you know, peace begins at home and how we're all interconnected. So, I think this is going to be a lovely conversation. Megan, thank you so much for making the time to be here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I always like to
1: start by
0: asking my guests to define what the art of parenting is for them.
1: Yeah, the art of parenting. Um, I really think that the art of parenting is, you know, meeting Learning how to meet your children where they are uh, in the present moment um, and also where they are developmentally at that moment, because, you know, we can get really set in an idea of what good parenting is and how children should behave and um, really what they or or, you know what society expects of them or what society expects of us as parents and how we should raise our children but really at the end of the day i think what's really important is that we meet our children where they are developmentally and also their own you know unique spirit and personality and what they need in that given moment um in a day so for example um you know it's very important that my child goes to, for, for me and our family values, it's important for us that um, my child goes to school every day. But uh, recently, we decided as a family that our kindergarten child would only do half days, um, because I, I could just see that that was something that she needed at that moment for her age and stage and personality. And we made that transition and it ended up being a really good decision for her. Um, so really staying present with what your children's needs are at their age and stage. Um, And then I just mentioned briefly there about our family values. So uh, I think staying in alignment with your family values, having an awareness of what your family values are, um, what your intentions and your goals are as a family so, because with that example of going to school, there might be families who, you know, don't have going to an institutional school setting um, as a part of their family value set. And so, you know, that wouldn't even come into the agenda in the first place. So, no, I, I, that's it. I mean, I really think those two things are, are the most important. So,
0: staying in the present moment uh, and then respecting the family values that you have really discovered as you've become a parent.
1: Yeah. And staying in the present moment, I mean, it can seem, I I think there's two parts to that. I think, yes, staying in the moment yourself is, Uh, an important quality that every human should strive for. Really, we, you know, if we're living too much in the past or thinking too much towards the future, we're really just not living in gratitude and peace in the moment. But at the same time, um, living in the moment and what, you know, really... tuning in and connecting with your child and seeing what it is that they need at that time and and being aware of what the development, you know, loosely what the developmental stages are because a, a four-year-old um, has very different needs than a six or seven-year-old. For example, you might hold a boundary stronger with a six and a seven-year-old, whereas you might more um, distract or, um, you know, hold a boundary in a very different, gentler way with a younger child. So thank you for that, Megan. That is
0: a beautiful definition of the art of parenting. And not an easy one, I would say, because the the whole, you know, when you're, you're saying about us as the adults staying in that present moment, I think that that's where a lot of the work on ourselves needs to happen. Because I think we tend to, you know, worry about the future is our child going to be okay or you know things like that so we'll get more into that but i i really love that point of being really in the present moment with them because that's where they are they're in that present moment all the time Oh, so, so so before we, we get uh, too involved in our conversation, I would love if you could let the listeners know a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you are doing with children and families today.
1: Yeah, um, I am originally from Canada, where I am right now on the east coast of Canada, and I went to Australia, um, met my husband there, and uh, I was teaching English as a second language, and uh, to children. And then I soon after that had my first child, and I was really interested in different types of education. and I, we fell upon Waldorf education and we started attending a Waldorf uh, parent and child class there. Uh, he's 11 and a half now, so that was you know over a decade ago. And from there, I started doing my uh, Waldorf, teacher training studies, I studied anthroposophy, which is um, essentially the philosophy, um, spiritual science of Rudolf Steiner. And uh, he oh, and then I I started my teacher training, but I kept uh, having children. And so it got delayed. Um, And then when we moved to Canada a few years ago, I started finishing my teacher training and all in that process, during that process, I I started a small business called Whole Family Rhythms and I created essentially um, home rhythms that were Waldorf inspired. So they kind of bridged that gap between Waldorf schools and the home for young uh, children, generally between the ages of about two and six. And it was, um, for lack of a better word, a curriculum, just uh, helping parents to understand how to create like a whole healthy, nourishing rhythm for their young children at home. Uh, And the guides are seasonal guides. There's four of them and they were on sale for about five years. And then um, about seven or eight months ago, I decided that, I wanted to let go in a way of that business and kind of move on to the next thing. And so I made the guides available free to the public and they're still there. Uh, if you go to wholefamilyrhythms.com, it will automatically redirect you to meganrosewilson.com, which is my new website. And you can find all the guides there.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful. So I have several questions from from what you just uh, shared with us. And one of them is uh, the Waldorf method of education or, or the philosophy. I know a little bit. I don't know that much. I'm actually uh, Montessori trained, and I know there's some similarities in Waldorf and Montessori and then other things that are um completely different. I would love if you could just give us a snapshot of what your uh, definition is of this, you know, educational method and and kind of the training that you did.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I did my, I'm just finishing actually, next week, I will be completely finished, but I did my, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, focused on early childhood. So that's from Bernard until age seven is what we focused on. And in Waldorf education, um, really all the way through high school, what we're looking at is where the child is uh, developmentally, what they need based on what's happening um, in their body and their soul and their spirit at a specific age. Um, and obviously there's not exact ages Because everyone develops a little bit differently, but there's kind of a flow that you can follow. Uh, And they're they're seven year flows actually. So from birth to seven, seven to 14, and 14 to 21, those age categories, you would see like very developmentally very different uh, uh, jumps and leaps. So I focused on birth to seven and. Um some of the concepts that we kind of we look at is that uh children learn the most at that stage from imitation. So um modeling the adults modeling meaningful authentic work um you know even the gestures of an adult a, a child will drink in. So adults really doing the inner work to present themselves in the you know, highest possible sense to children um, all the time, so that uh, the the children have something worthy to imitate. Uh, children also learn the most at that stage through play, according to uh, Waldorf philosophy. So you know, when a child is scooping and uh, dumping out sand, you know, they're learning about weight and measuring. And they are learning a lot about social dynamics through play. They are um, they're really getting, uh, having a foundation in their bodies at that age, you know, uh, learning how to uh, first walk and then run and skip and hop and, um, you know, uh, climb and swing and all of these things actually set the foundation for the more formal learning that they do after the age of seven. Um, so an example is, uh, skipping requires that, uh, bilateral movement and when your bilateral movement, so your, your left hand or your left foot is moving forward and your right hand is moving forward when you're skipping or walking. Um, that is, you know, a foundation for both, both sides of the brain are then communicating together. And once they're able to do that, that's, you know, sets the foundation for literacy and reading. So Um, everything builds upon each step. So we don't just introduce reading, and that like kind of rote memorization, because children can, you know, memorize symbols. But if their uh, body and that development isn't fully established in themselves, it's just not going to sit with them as deep and they are it's it's more challenging and probably not as enjoyable for them either if they're struggling because they're physically not ready for that next step yet. Right, right, right. That's beautiful, and it's it's interesting how
0: I didn't realize like how Waldorf you said were in these three different stages of seven years. I don't know if you knew, but uh, Montessori does four stages of six years.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Which is, yeah, yeah. It's called the Four Planes of Development. And it's it's the same thing. It's like really adapting the environment and kind of what they're learning at those different stages. Um, so there, that's I didn't realize it was that uh, similar. So that's beautiful. And then the whole kind of what I call that indirect preparation for, you know, what you're saying for like literacy, preparing their, their, their body and spirit to be able to do that. Um, is that indirect preparation? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And just, and and also just the point of us modeling um, we call it the spiritual preparation of the adult, which is really being able to be in the presence of children and modeling the best of humanity. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar. Love it. Love it. Um, So I would love if you could share a little bit about what your, when you talk about these home rhythms, like, are there um, takeaways that you would like our listeners to have about? And maybe, you know, the season that we are in right now, we are uh, you're probably still a little bit in winter where it's feeling like spring here. I'm in California, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of how, how do we adapt the, the essence of the fact that, you know, we are in a rhythm with the earth and then how do we bring that into our homes to really nourish our children as well?
1: Yeah. So the, we, in the guides that I have, uh, I set out a daily rhythm. So for okay. children, it's really important that they have this in-breath and out-breath. So an in-breath would be something that's kind of adult-led, whether okay. it's reading a book or sitting down and having a meal together or something uh, a little bit more quiet and focused, whereas an out breath would be, you know, a free play where the child's child led play and the child plays in the ways that they want and explores their environment in the way that they want. And then you also want to balance those in breaths and out breaths with outside time um, as much as possible. And then we can look at, uh, this, you can bring in the seasonal aspects of a rhythm because you know the the crafts that you're making or the foods that you're preparing, um, the stories that you're telling can all have this seasonal um, theme to them. So in winter right now, uh, you, well, we just had a I just had a parent and child class here today, and we um, we baked bread this morning, which is kind of a a nourishing, like warming activity to do together. It's still, it's snowing right now. Uh, And then we cut up vegetables and we made a soup and then they had a nice free play. And then we came together around the table and had um, some warming vegetable soup, uh, which is really, you know, I think that's, the essence of, of winter is sitting inside and having some warming soup. And then after snack, we all, we put all of our stuff on and we went outside and we did some sledding. Uh, oh, beautiful. So that is, it's, it's very simple, but that is giving this them this sense of rhythm and also, you know, what it is in the seasons. And we also started the morning um, with a little puppet show, which was about these winter animals that built a little house of ice and snow and had some icicles to, to eat. So <laughs> they also get this beautiful imagery and this language vocabulary to use um, when they're, they're talking about uh, this beautiful winter weather.
0: Well, that's beautiful. And I love that you, you're cooking with them, right? The, the children mm-hmm. are, are always cooking and baking with the adults. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's
1: such beautiful. It's it's really meaningful work for children. Children love to be helpful. They love to help in the kitchen. And I find uh, more than anything, it helps them to explore new tastes and new foods because they take ownership and they're proud of the fact that they helped prepare it and they're less resistant to uh, eating healthy things if they've helped cook them.
0: Yes, beautiful. That is music to my ears because I'm always encouraging families to to welcome the children in the kitchen I feel that a lot of times you know families are are complaining to me that they can't get anything done because their child wants to be with them and to me that's a sign that well maybe that's where they should be (laughs) is with you and cooking and all of that so Mm -hmm. wonderful um how how were you uh raised like were you what what um made you want to seek out this you know the the waldorf um way of teaching and all of this is this part of your
1: own upbringing or does it uh stretch away from it Mm. um some of it is very similar and some of it is very different i was Uh raised uh with very much with um, a lot of time for play and artistic activities. And we, my parents had a little uh, cabin up north, about two hours north of the city. So we went there every summer and I spent, you know, months by the lake and outdoors in nature. So in that sense, it's similar. Uh, but I was also an 80s child and I watched a lot of television, which my own children watch very little Uh, Well, they they didn't watch any in their early years and now they're older and they watch, uh, you know, they have a movie night once a week and that's it. Um, We ate very differently in the 80s. Yes. and um, Yeah, I'd say those are the biggest differences are our diet and the way that I prepare foods uh, much more slowly and mindfully and then our media consumption. Um, but right. the love of nature and um, a lot of play and having that kind of childhood innocence i I was fortunate enough to have in my my childhood.
0: Mm, that's beautiful and and to me it seems like there's kind of a return to that in ways uh, because I feel we've we've kind of gotten away from it, you know with you when you were talking about screens and things. I mean I, I feel you know there is a nat- nature deficit in our in our children so i'm hoping that that with the work that you're doing and 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 you know a lot of the people that i've been interviewing there seems to be a return to that you know the free play outdoors take your children outside be in nature connect with the earth all of that is so important mhm absolutely yeah yeah. So you 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 were saying that you lead uh, these parent uh, child
1: groups in your home. And, and this is something that you do regularly? Yeah, I've been doing it for just over a year now. Uh, and uh-huh. I have a, a group of five families come once a week. And I live on a, a 10 acre farm. So we have goats and sheep and uh, lots of chickens and animals at the barn. And then we have a nice farmhouse um, and my I have four children so my oldest is 11 and my youngest just turned five and so we still have a little room in the house that has um, you know the wooden toys and the dolls and things like that so the family the five families come in there's about 12 well there's 12 children altogether but a few of them are babies and we okay. go through this morning rhythm once a week. They are, a few of them are homeschoolers and then a few of them are kind of trying to decide what they're gonna do. Their children are preschool to almost kindergarten age. And do you do you have a Waldorf school in your area? Yeah, well, we have a Waldorf school about 45 minutes away which my children attend. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, perfect. Perfect. And do you have any
0: um, what have you discovered to be kind of misconceptions that family might have around the Waldorf education? I I would love if you could kind of debunk some of the myths that you might have heard so that our listeners have a better idea of what it truly is.
1: Yeah, um, I guess one of the one of the myths is that Waldorf doesn't teach reading uh, early enough. Or, you know, there's, there's people are worried that reading uh, literacy isn't really taken seriously until the later years. And uh, it's true in Waldorf um, schools, they do not teach even the, they don't even teach the alphabet in uh, kindergarten formally. Uh, So the children start their literacy journey in grade one, and they start by learning uh, a fairy tale. And there might be a fairy tale about um, a, I'm trying to think of a really obvious one, Uh, a snake would be a character in the fairy tale. And they would come take out of that fairy tale the S, and they would draw the S, but it would look like a snake. And so they go mm-hmm. through this rich tapestry of um, fairy tales and storytelling, and they draw a letter out of each story that they learn. They might learn, I don't know, a, a two or three letters a week. And they're um, drawing, you know, these this beautiful vocabulary from the stories. They're really, those letters are going so deeply into them. And that recognition is there and the sound is there. Um, So it's very different than bringing these kind of abstract um, letter images to children when they're much younger and they're kind of just visually memorizing them. Uh, Mm -hmm. They do. So when they're in grade seven, they're often six and a half to seven and a half years old. So and you can imagine that if they're only learning the alphabet in the beginnings of grade one, um, they are not going to be really reading until they're in grade two or three. Um, so that that does for some parents feel very different than what is conventionally ha- how reading is conventionally taught. Um, but having experienced it with uh, two, almost coming on three children, three of my four children now, uh, I've I've learned a few things. The first is that every child reads Learns to read very differently. My son was reading Roald Dahl books in grade one because he just picked up the sounds. I, I helped them all. You know, I think on a personal level, I think it's important that parents take responsibility for their children's literacies too. I think it's really important that we don't just leave it to schools. And so I, um, whenever my children have shown interest in the letters, even if they are in kindergarten or, you know, Uh, junior kindergarten I will start to teach them what the letters are called and you know start working with the sounds with them and I will read small books with them when I see that they're ready so my children haven't been purely learning how to read at school so I'm not sure (laughs) if I can uh if I've had like a a perfect representation of how children learn through Waldorf education, because I've also done my own thing um, with my children. Right. Which I right. think is really important. Yeah. I mean to me that's
0: following your child. You know, what you were saying at the beginning of being present and and, mm-hmm. and seeing where their their interests are is very important. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more? You said something very important. You talked about the that it is our responsibility as parents to you know kind of nourish that that desire for literacy. what are so you you described a little bit of what you did. What are some other things that you encourage the parents that you work with to be doing at home to really engage our children in in being emergent lit you know breeders? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think there's, um, for pre -pre pre-literacy, like what I mentioned earlier on, I think encouraging children to really be in their bodies. So encouraging climbing and jumping, getting a skipping rope, because that is like a lost art that a lot of children don't know how to skip anymore. And it is so healthy for their body, um, doing, um, so crossing the midline, uh, both like reaching when a child is standing and being able to reach down and touch their toes. Um, things like uh, the clapping games. So, you know, Miss, Miss Mary, Mac, 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 like those old clapping style games. Those are uh, games where the child is learning how to cross their midline. They're reaching their arm across their body, mm-hmm. um, clapping someone else's hand. And all of that is, uh, I consider uh, pre-literacy. So working um, with children to to really be in their bodies, I think also bringing in, you know, even with babies and small children, nursery rhymes and any kind of uh, rhyming and playing with the rhythm of of words is so important um, because children will start to pick up on when they learn rhyming, you know, that's the beginning of understanding how words are made and how some words like boy and toy, they rhyme and uh, the only Letter that is different is the B and the T. Uh, So that's really important playing with rhymes, um, reading from a very young age, and establishing a really strong reading rhythm within your home. So we have always read stories to our children before bed, um, but we also have um, a seasonal book basket in our living room so the children can look at books. And then, you know, we usually find a time during the day where we read to them. and, and choosing books that are beautiful and engaging and have, you know, um, real, like, vast vocabulary, you know, I there there is a time and a place for those silly little books that you get at the library that are like, you know, a tiny summary of a Peppa Pig episode or something like that. But really, like, those books are not feeding our children's souls and they're not... Um, Expanding the, their vocabulary in the same way that, like, a really engaging, rich, well thought right. story is.
0: Right, like, like to me that it's the importance of of having the the precise vocabulary, like not dumbing things down for them. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. And, and
1: stories that are. Um, engaging them on a soul level that they are interested in and that like touch them deeply. Um, Children love stories about animals. They, you know, they like stories about um, people or animals going on adventures and, you know, overcoming a fear or something like that. Uh, I don't love those books that are really written for adults who are, bored and sick and tired of reading books for children. So they, they write a book that makes the, you know, has this adult humor to it, or is like slightly sarcastic. I've said before, like the, um, there's one about a pigeon on a bus. I can't remember what it's called, but it's just very sarcastic and it doesn't make sense to, to young children. You know, they, they kind of get it, but they don't, but adults love, enjoy reading it. And it, it's, that's just not a great choice. I, I just I love stories that are really rich, and they have that beginning, the middle and the end and that conflict resolution.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That's that's great advice to be really looking at the the story and the, the richness of the literature that we're sharing with our children. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love everything that you have shared. And I would love if there is any kind of parting words that you would like to leave our parents with on on just the importance of these rhythms that you're establishing I know you talk a little bit about the interconnectedness that we have with with nature and our families and such any anything that you want to leave our listeners with today
1: I think um More than anything, what I continue to learn on this journey is that the most important work for parenting is uh, for the parent to do their own inner work and to do, you know, their own like parenting themselves. Um, And if we, you know, tune into what is important to us, we might often find that, um, you know, what what nourishes you during the year and and finding little moments throughout the year that are your favorite. So for example, um, one of my favorite times of year is Easter and it's this, it's, it's not just, it's, well, it's not religious at all for me. It's more this coming of spring and this new beginnings and this awakening of the earth. Um, and so that has become a a value in a way for me, you know, how can I, uh, look at this festival and the season and uh, bring it, bring these kind of archetypal pictures into our home, these new beginnings and um, planting seeds and, you know, all of these beautiful things that happen in springtime. Uh, no, essentially no, know, know your why as a parent, don't just mm. bring in seasonal activities because you think that that's what children need. And that's what you need to do because I said, so, you know, figure right, out what right. it is and with, you that resonates with you about the way that um, you experience your own home environment and bring in uh, what's meaningful to you and your family into your your seasonal rhythm because um, someone in Florida or like you in California you know you're experiencing the rhythms of the year in a very different way than I am here in Canada and so I think definitely parents to really look at what is happening in their environment and what they resonate with and what touches them and how they can bring that authentically to their children. I, I'm sorry, but you got cut off right when you were saying the name of
0: the festival or what you preferred. Oh,
1: I I love, like, I'm just thinking, I'm looking forward to Easter right now. Easter, okay, okay, that's what it was. <laughs> because okay. I'm looking at yeah. a big snowstorm right now and I'm just I'm really looking forward <laughs> to that first little flower.
0: Yes, yes, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And um, I always like to end with a a more personal question, if I may. Mm -hmm. And you said that your eldest was 11 and a half. So if you were to go back maybe 12 years ago when you were expecting your first child. So this was in Australia, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today?
1: Yeah, I, I've thought about this. And um, without sound, like I, I don't want to sound <laughs> full of myself or egotistical or anything, but I think parents today are so hard on themselves and trying so hard to do everything right. And I know I have really um, done as much as I can to provide for my children and I still do. And I make mistakes every day, but what I, I really want to offer my, my past self and hopefully eventually my, my present self is, you know, this um, accommodation, this real understanding that I am doing. Uh, the best that I can for my children and that that is more than enough. So instead of giving my past self advice about what I might've done differently, or, you know, even just, you know, I I think a lot of people might answer that and say, oh, you know, relax or (laughs) don't do as much or anything, but I really want to just sit with what I have done and, um, be happy and, um, proud of myself for that.
0: Well, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> and I think that's, that's very empowering to many parents, because knowing that we are doing the very best we can each and every day. Mm-hmm. So that's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, this has been a delightful conversation, Megan, I, I really appreciate your time and just sharing um, kind of your journey in parenting and in your work. Is there um, any parting words or or how do you want people to continue following your work?
1: Sure. So they can go to meganrosewilson.com or um uh, and find the free guides there as well, or if they remember WholeFamilyRhythms.com, that is that would is live too. Uh, or they can follow along on Instagram. It's Instagram.com slash MeganRoseWilson. And um, there I am sharing often videos of me, you know, for a few minutes, every few days, giving a little bit of uh, advice or insight or something that I've been thinking about that's resonating with me as a parent at this moment.
0: Oh, Beautiful. Thank you. And I'll have all of those uh, links in the show notes as well. So again, thank you so much for for your time and your wisdom today,
1: Megan. Thank you so much.
0: Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child, or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone, and you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, Declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony. And find more time to do the things you love. This is what the Parenting School is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally, plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep-dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll to learn more about all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family. hope you enjoyed this episode of the art of parenting and if you did please make sure to share it with your loved ones and do come share your takeaways in our private facebook community i'd also be grateful for a review on itunes so it can get heard by many more and remember if you've got a question let me know i'm here for you till next time